Welcome to the Inspired Wild Podcast, y'all. We are wore out, and I'm sitting here literally in a bathroom <laughs> with Nick Percy of Killer Food Plots, Phil Francone with Mindle USA, Mindle Boots, and um, the things we do for Whitetail. <laughs> Guys, <laughs> here we are. It's Kansas. What, what, what was the temp today? Oh, about 350 degrees. Uh-huh. With 200% humidity? It was uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. We, yeah. uh, it is the 1st of August, and this was really, we tried to get our food, our fall food plots in, end of July, 1st of August, mainly because of some of the growing time. Um, I think this was really more of a, when can you go? When can you go? And it was just all of us trying to coordinate our schedules. And so uh, we got a lot done. And for you guys that are into whitetails or maybe you've never hunted whitetails, we're going to try and explain what we're doing and why we're doing it. Because it is a – so it's just a hoot. Because – and I always say this about whitetail. It's different than mule deer. It's different than elk. Whitetail is like chess. It's like playing chess. Yes, it is. And it, but it's all year long. I mean, February. What are we doing in February? We're looking to see what bucks survive because we're already thinking about next year. Uh, you know, you're you do I'm some trapping. I'm looking for sheds yeah. and trapping, mm-hmm. and that is. I mean, that is a great time to, to either see them on their feet while they still have their antlers on their head, or find sheds. Actually, found a giant set of sheds this year trapping that. Trevin now owns yes. 182 inches of bone laying on the ground, literally six inches apart. Most unbelievable deer. And uh, that is a deer that we, if you've listened to the podcast, I'm, uh, I don't know if I've talked about him. If you watch the show, I sure as heck have because uh, his blades. And he covered that a little bit in Colorado. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. And blades is my nemesis. Blades is a buck that I'm, I'm afraid He's on the downhill, I think 2017. Well, we, we say that, you know, but we're going to see some growth because mm-hmm. of the moisture. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a mature deer. We've seven. Had, we've had him on camera for five years yeah, with seven. being a 10-point. Uh-huh. So we're thinking he's seven or eight. And um, people say, oh, you know, Adam goes to Iowa and shoots an 11-year-old deer. And people go, no way. And they, they say, exist. oh, wait, wait a minute. Here, let's look at the trail cam pictures. They exist. And mm-hmm. he was, they called him the unicorn. He was so unique. He, You know it's him. And you look at his three-year-old pictures on end. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's one of the neat things about whitetail is you get to know your deer. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's, 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 it's unique that way. But let's set the scene. Um, I've got this year I've got three food plots we were going to put in a fourth but we're actually not going to this year just it's a time thing and, and we really don't need it but yet I was I was wanting to you've got three three but we've expanded yes quite a bit you've expanded two yeah one's about a half an acre and one's probably maybe a little over one mm-hmm. full acre and then I've got a small what I like to refer it's just my river plot it's just a small little place that is tucked in the corner right off the bean field right let's, next to the river let's call it what it is it's a killer food plot it's it's a killer food because plot and it's it's specifically there it is a kill plot what right. I, and and I it's 
it's kind of tough to say it's a kill plot, but that's exactly what it's there for. Right. Big deer like to be in that corner. And they're and, so and, secluded. And I want something there that keeps them interested basically throughout the season, and that's why we do what we do. Right. Mm-hmm. And this is, Nick, we talked about this earlier. This is a unique year because of the moisture and the it, uh, it, it literally just got hot middle of July. Yeah. It was... It was May. It was spring-like temperatures through July. Mm-hmm. Not just here, but you were in Colorado with me, and you saw the May flowers. It looked in the high country after the Fourth of July. It looked like May. Yeah, it was amazing. Yeah. It was a nice treat, but yeah. it definitely was green and <clears throat> everything was in blossom. Yes, but with that, bloom. <clears throat> we, especially on my place. The farmer couldn't get in plant corn. So now this whole, yeah. uh, you know, we're always using food plots to draw them out to, to as a staging area, whatever. And now their food source is gone. For sure. Game changer. Yes. So we put in that Jenny Gate, that, that new food plot, and we even expanded it. I was just planning on going down the alley just for, again, a little small something. But then with that being basically out of the loop no food there no um the only food is across the river and your beans yes because phil sits uh we border each other yep and um the nice thing about being neighbors with the same game plan is we literally work together we put our food plots in together we hunt together and um situations arise where where uh it's hard if you have a neighbor that's just shooting two yes and so yes. that you know it gives us a little bit of gr- more ground to understand and to manage age class we're in a nice spot because there aren't a ton of um hardcore whitetail hunters around us there are some guys that dabble in it and it's great they're fantastic they're really good neighbors they're good folks but when you start laying the miles of the river out on the vergris where we are we've got quite a little space here and and we both have the same plan of attack and that makes a big difference and when i'm here and you're not here i can take care of stuff for you when you're here and Mm -hmm. i'm not here you can take care of stuff for me and i'm telling you when you've got acreages like we've got you need that partnership you need you need somebody on the same page it's so hard even uh, you know you just add one more person and now you have two chunks of ground Mm -hmm. but the amount of help just one person it's amazing. Gives you it's double. It, it, it's more than double because yeah. I think we get more done. You know, you get a guy who's yes. right running the tractor. Yes, I'm on the four wheeler behind you. If it's just you and I, but today, Nick, I want you to explain a little bit about the setups that that we did. And this is cool because you've been to this property, but you've actually never gone out to these food plots. Mm-hmm. You've been consulting with us. Yep. You've been teaching us for this our fourth year. Fourth yeah. year. And yet, this is the first time you got to get your hands dirty, and you changed a few things. Mm-hmm. Um, let's let's start let's start with Phil's uh, big plot, and um, you know, Phil, what are you expecting? Here we have almost that could be a that could be farmed. It's big enough. Yeah, it's, it's an area it's, that's big enough. It's four acres um, inside of a, a great big shelter belt, really, and and it's just off of a creek. It's a it's a runoff from a from a from a, a a pond up above it, and it it just it's a beautiful little spot. Deer are super comfortable there. I killed a one sixty there last year. 
it is where I have on my, on my property. That's where I have my most action. That's where the deer live. The does are in there all the time. And what come rut, the, the, the bucks are strolling through there and it is one of my most favorite places to hang out. So the thought process this year was, um, we've, we've always had a little food plot in there. And, and we've done a bunch of different things. We've done clover. We've done. We've even done two little food plots, yes. kind of a half yeah. or a third We're, acre and, and another trying, third trying acre. Set, trying to set up for wind, right? Trying right. to get. We had a couple spots. This one's good for south wind. This one's good for north wind. We can get in there and we can we can hunt really no matter the condition. Right. So that was the deal. Well, last year I had all kinds of visions of grandeur and we didn't quite get there because there was just a, a lot of hurdles to get through. This year, I actually had my farmer. I talked to my farmer um, when he was breaking soil to put in beans before the rain and all that stuff. And I, I asked him if he'd break that soil up for me so it wouldn't be so tough. And he did. He went in there and, and knocked out four acres. And wow, it's just that tilled up so nice and looks so good. I'm ready to hunt deer in that spot. Yeah, that It yeah. really turned out great. That'll be my main location this year for, for where I try to set up the most. Now, your access point, and Nick, this is something that you look at. How are you going to access? Yep. How are the deer mm-hmm. going to access it? And so you access that, you go on the other side, kind of yeah. over a hill, yeah. and you have all those cedars. I, I back in, yeah. totally. Uh, it's kind of a, it's, there, so there's the watershed up, shed up above, and, the, and then the creek that comes down, and there are two massive hills, and real, uh, I'm right on the edge of the Flint Hills. Um, and so basically it breaks into the Flint Hills and goes right down into the Vir- Vertigus River Plain. And when you get down into that valley, that really, really brings all that deer movement in tight it, it narrows uh all of the lanes of, of movement and it really brings them in, in through there so it's a pinch point for me and, and i've known it since i've bought this place and it, but it's always been kind of hard to figure out what the deer are doing because they can come from anywhere and i think this year with what we did with the killer food plots with what we've used like screening is something we've talked about oh, that a lot. border patrol is going to be huge for you to sneak in there trying to dry trying to get myself in there so let's say that I'm not doing an all day hunt. Usually when it gets down to the rut, I'll go sit all day. I'm okay doing that. But if I wanted to, if I want to sneak in there in the afternoon, you know, I've, I'm driving all day from Nebraska to get here. I get here and I want to slip in the tree that night. It's almost impossible because you can see me coming for a mile. But with that screening and, and the border patrol, man, that has really changed the game. It allows me to sneak in there pretty well unseen you know it, it gives me a, a corridor to get through all of that stuff and find my way in there without getting without bumping every deer on the property yeah, and the way we set that up being able to allow the deer to be in the opposite corner where you're approaching along the tree line yes that'll bring them in and then we put the teed off walls and they yes. just be able to bring them back to you yes and but for, and for nice. the listeners when we're talking about the teed off walls what we're doing is we're planting border patrol in a t so that actually one of the legs comes out into the field creating almost a wall mm-hmm. but they can walk around it correct but they don't want to go through it unless there's danger then like we talked right. about in the last podcast they if a a bobcat starts chasing them mm-hmm. or a coyote or yep. whatever they can go through it yep talk a little bit about the difference in a third acre plot and a, an acre plot or a two acre plot um the, the reason i like small plots is you can shoot any deer mm-hmm. 
anywhere on that plot usually mm-hmm. and in some situations we're hunting a ground blind but most situations we're in a tree stand we put the plot in we find an area that's great it's got the perfect tree right we got a food plot but with the one acre i it's more feed uh does do you think it attracts more deer because it's larger you know i mean i think there's a, t- a place for each a larger food plot tends to be a socializing area mm. for multiple deer deer to visit so you'll get a lot more doe activity there's a lot more tolerance because there's more square footage so you don't have deer on top of each other um, they're very territorial and some does i call them the uh, red winged blackbirds uh, they just have zero tolerance for <laughs> zero zero tolerance for other does to be in the area and and even bucks for that matter at certain times of the year for sure and so when you give them some room to to spread out and work edges and they can all be you know comb they can all mingle in the same food plot but have some space between them yeah. and what we find with the border patrol and those teed off walls create different corridors within the food plot it it allows the does to coexist without a whole lot of uh, unrest and uh, fighting but what it does it also forces those bucks to have to go check each one of those openings within the food plot which does a couple different things a it forces them out of the woods they can't do that drive-by and just kind of scan the field from 30 feet back in the woods they have to commit and when they commit if it allows you to hold that buck on your property longer and in the area giving you more of an opportunity and as you mentioned the chess match that's something that you and i talk about a lot is it's you know we need the deer and us to go up and to the left instead of we're up in the left and they're down and then the right and so you know that's something that a lot of people struggle with how about the buck walk the opposite side of the field the entire length and we were just willing him to come across the field to us and he wouldn't and those teed off walls force the deer to go go end to end right um uh, back and forth through that field and then you can set up on the ends of those tees where they're going to come around the corner and now all of a sudden you're within bow range um so you're you're controlling movement you're creating that social hangout yeah you're prime forage let's not forget that especially in a year like this year on on the on the property i'm hunting which is my buddy travis mckenzie's one of my best friends it's his family farm and they've allowed us you know what are we on our sixth year here uh i i bought this in 14 so i think you were here one year before i was okay. so that would make yeah that make it this is your sixth year and um you know it's it's we were talking about it earlier it's it's really helped their deer hunting too absolutely it has. but um it's 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 just such a unique opportunity to lay a groundwork and you know we've made mistakes yeah. um there's stands i've hung that in two years i never sat in them and i and the one time i did sat in them i found out it was, it was like the toilet bowl stand yeah. i call it the toilet bowl stand because that's what it was i don't care what wind you had there was a toilet bowl in there mm-hmm. because of the uh, predominant wind mixed with the thermals and you got winded every way but you know every every way a deer could wind you yeah. And so we finally just pulled that stand down because you can't hunt it. We made mistakes planting food plots. Yeah. We made mistakes not um, setting up a cage or something to understand is what we are are planting growing. Yeah. Because we would come back, and I know I I can specifically go back to the very first year we put down food plots. 
we came out here we sweat we just beat ourselves into the ground right like it's <laughs> this is certainly not easy work no it's not we come back in six months and you look at it and it, and it looks like barren earth like what in the heck happened right but then you go and you pull the footage and you're like wait a minute we had growth and we had deer in here and they wrecked the joint yeah they absolutely tore it apart so we've learned a little bit and yeah. i think that's what makes us want to do these things and what it, it is what makes me want to continue to do it more i know that we're bringing deer in here i know that we're bringing habitat and improving the position for these deer to live and and enjoy our spot and stay here right we saw some big deer today we saw well, some big and, deer and, today. And, and, and let's talk about the herd health yeah you you talk a lot about it mm -hmm. and uh, the protein that you're getting out of your seed mixes versus a corn yep where corn is an empty really not that nutritious no it's kind of like going to mcdonald's every time yeah maybe it's really tastes real good but it's probably not the best for you right and so deer are different than humans because they won't keep going back to mcdonald's they're going to go find something when they're protein deficient they're going to find some protein and um let's talk a little bit about some of the mixes we we did some climatized yeah, we did climatize in almost every single plot combined and with with carnage, carnage, brassicas, white rage, white rage, and then we even added in uh, some. We tried some crop dust, oh, crop yeah. duster on uh, on the Jenny Gate. But I want to stop for a second. And say, uh, I, I want to talk through climatize. Mm -hmm. Talk us through the mix and and why that, why these combinations that we put together are essential. So climatize, climatize is a combination of a climbing vining pea, a forage soybean, buckwheat, and one of the KFP radishes. And the reason why it's so dynamic is it's, it has uh, quick growth. It can produce some height out of it, depending on the browsing pressures you mentioned, Phil. But um, <clears throat> it's very dynamic for a spring-summer food plot. But now putting it in here the first part of august it will be a big draw very it'll be green when the soybeans start turning yellow it will still be green um high protein you know that is a mix that has a ton of protein in it and it's very very palatable the peas and the beans are non-pod producing so they're not like your fields of soybeans but the entire plant can be is edible it's just it's edible and then and the buckwheat right now they're just smashing buckwheat if it's already growing they're they're not i mean they're eating it to the ground everywhere i've planted it um so they have some new growth especially yeah. with you know this area doesn't get super cold in the next you know month and a half or so um you know buckwheat doesn't like cold or frost but it will grow like crazy and provide that protein and then those radishes kick in but what we backfilled with in each one of those scenarios with is a high sugar carbohydrate producing food source that come prime time when you're out here hunting um or continuing to hunt as much as you mentioned you're not coming out here until the oak whatever oak mites oak those mites are, the, are those are spawn of, spawn of satan <laughs> if you don't know what an oak mite is god bless you oh. because oak mites are two millimeters big so there you don't see them and they hatch in the oak leaves. They don't have wings, but the wind in Kansas yes. always blows. And so you sit there and it's just like constant having these little 
demons blown onto you and then they bite you and they make chiggers you wish for chiggers yeah yes. when you get bitten by an elk nobody, 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 nobody wishes for a chigger but no. in that instance <laughs> i remember trevin and his dad were down here and they they looked like they had chicken pox and trevin comes over he goes have you heard of these oak mites and i'm from nebraska we don't have oak mites it's probably a little too cold i said no i've never heard of them and he goes well where are your tree stands and we started talking about it i don't have one tree stand in an oak tree every one of his tree stands is an oak tree (laughs) every stinking one so he he was just unfortunately i was was ate up but anyway a glutton for punishment that year so yeah so we have quite a few uh options for food we've got our early season covered we've got our mid-season covered and then our continuation of the season and then you're you're you were talking about the sweet the the carbohydrates carbohydrates. that's the carnage brassicas Right. right so that is the carnage brassicas are our kfp uh, two different turnips, two different varieties of rape that are highly digestible, and they're more of a lettuce variety brassica. So thick, heavy, rubbery leaves is not good in, from a whitetail digestibility standpoint. Ours are more like a romaine lettuce leaf. Um, so they'll eat those. They'll literally browse on the vegetation. Then the moment we get that hard freeze, all the sugar goes in the bulb. Right. Well, that happens. And then the whole, as a whole, um, that mix has some early, some mid, and some late. So some of it doesn't need extreme cold, just cooler. Some of it needs hard frost. Um, So there's some diversity within the mix of what seems to be the same plant they're both rape species or they're both turnips but they mature at different times and they're edible at different times so you're not sitting there in bow season wishing you'd plant in something else with your brassicas uh, which happens a lot the deer aren't even interested in them so we actually have a variety that allows them to eat and we have kale which is always an you know an early draw for the deer um, in that mix as well so so that adds to your protein content and white the white rage you guys when did you come out with that uh we launched it two years ago unbelievable the the feedback in the last two years is that that is the bucks own the white rage they literally i had six customers last year telling me that they had bucks come in and chase the does out in october like chase them out of the plot like get out of here this is mine go find some other food source and one of our 80-some-year-old, 82 or whatever old customers shot the biggest buck he's ever shot, and he had six mature bucks on November 5th all around the perimeter. There were does in there, and they were eating, looking at each other, and then his two biggest bucks had a throwdown in the middle after they were done <laughs> getting some white rage. Uh, they went nuts on each other, and he ended up killing the biggest buck of his life. And That's awesome. So that was really cool. It was like 180-some-inch deer. And wow, that is outstanding. Yeah, so it was cool, but... Um, you know, that was a, a product that we were looking for something that we could produce a lot of tonnage and put a lot of groceries in, especially in small plots. It plants a three quarter acre food plot, which, you know, most people have between a half and, and, and an acre. Um, that is a blend of our KFP radishes, which are in every one of our brassica blends in deep woods. It's in uh, crop duster. It's in Carnage Brassicas. It is a staple because of its tonnage production and its available nutrients. 
Um, and just the pure volume of food is so critical, especially when you hit the frost. A lot of times those food plots are gone within hours or at least within days. Um, and a lot of that has to do with they're sweet and they're available, but they don't really have a lot of good nutrient content. Ours do. So the deer tend to eat less of them, but come every day to eat. So I've talked to a lot of people back home in Nebraska and even down around here. I've planted brassicas multiple times. I've never seen deer go after brassicas. I hear this a lot. And even Trevor and I talked about it. Mm-hmm. Well, when do they go? And I came back here in February to trap bobcats on the place and, and help a buddy of mine. And uh, went to a couple places, went over to your plot your plot uh, on the ridgeline, Trev, and my, and my plot over on the west side. The deer had dug up every stinking one of those beets turnips radishes the whole thing they had the ground looked like it had it had it was like a cattle trail mm-hmm. it's 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 amazing what happens once it gets, once it gets cold mm-hmm. and you get a hard frost mm-hmm. i think a lot of people just don't go out after that yeah and they don't see what's happening those deer want that product right well and and let's be honest the first year deer didn't know what they were fair yeah. i mean the problem, there, there's not the, a lot there's not a lot of that planted around right. here so they and don't so, know it, they don't know it as a food and source. i've seen that from adam in nebraska yeah. where he planted them and it took a while once they realized them uh that, that it was a food source game the game changer. changed yeah, agreed yeah yeah so i think you know uh, that's something else do you see that also you, you take a product maybe it be your kfp turnip or something and for some reason in this location this area of the united states mm-hmm. they just the deer just don't recognize them it's interesting i i literally five years ago i had a customer and his neighbor like you guys they were on opposite sides of the road actual blacktop but they you know they participated in helping each other and trying to build their deer uh quality of their animals one guy could not keep his deer out of our carnage brassicas. The guy on the other road had the best looking carnage brassicas I've ever seen. The deer wanted nothing to do with them. They just walked through them. They never ate them. They walked through them because they were wrapped in border patrol and had a maze, would not even eat them. And there are a couple areas like that I've found in Michigan. Um, there are areas throughout the U.S. that we've put in plots where, I mean, they were really beautiful looking plots, but mm-hmm. the, they just didn't really recognize them. And they that's were they were in high bean corn areas where that's all that was planted on every single piece of ground. Sure. Um, Which and is we basically actually, what happens here. Yeah. yeah. And we found white rage, um, like down in Indiana, there's some spots like that. And um, we found the white rage they came to that, which is interesting to me that they would come to that but not come to the current Nebraska's. But that's a 50-50 blend. So it's 50% of our extra sweet sugar beets, big leafy plants, you know, really nice sugar beet in our radishes again. Um, but they smashed them. So yeah. just different. Uh, I was less than a believer on Nebraska thing because I'd tried it multiple times and had not had success until this year. Yeah. When I came back and we were here in February, it was a, it was unbelievable what they'd done to the it's, ground. It's, it's strange because like turnips are such a late, normally a, a product they eat late. Once you mentioned once they found it, they yes. were using it more. They You'll find this year they will eat it sooner, especially the one variety of turnip we have because it's an early turnip so they can eat it during bow season. They don't have to wait for the sure. cold, hard frost. It's actually edible. I actually had this happen in Michigan up in Ludington, uh, one of the prop, big properties we manage. I had some deer figure out that 
same thing the year before mm-hmm. and they came back in and they were four weeks old they were about the size of a baseball <laughs> and they they picked one purple top turnip variety out and they took a bite out of it and spit it out right next to it and then they figured out which ones were the other variety and they were like it was like a gopher went through there and popped them all out they ate all the bulbs they apple cored them and they left the greens because the greens weren't ready but sure. the bulbs were because the sugars were in the, the bulb. sugar they were in the ball but they weren't huh. in the greens and it's kind of a it's an interesting yeah, variety um and you know we do that on purpose uh it's an intentional thing but i didn't expect them to figure it out and and start popping them out of the ground so i unfortunately had to replant that food plot but you know what i'm really excited about about, yeah yeah it is i'm really excited this year because we use retain Mm -hmm. and that's a product that you did you launch at ata this year or was it last year uh two years ago okay we we released it and um explain we talked about it on the last podcast but explain more in depth the retain and and for us in this location oh, yeah. we get heavy rains and then not a friggin drop of rain for six oh, weeks my god you were turning it's, that ground and you were mm, turning yeah. that over today and it dust. did not look like there was a single for all of the four inches of soil you were turning yeah we actually picked up a couple of the clumps sure and there was some moisture in those but man it's pretty dry so hopefully these rain showers are supposed to come tonight come yes but retain's gonna it's gonna be huge for us Mm -hmm. here because the ability to uh, when we get the heavy rains that retain stores which basically it's it's the size of like a grain of sand yeah it's about the size of a turnip seed okay and then it gets up to about a marble yeah it absorbs and pulls the moisture and the nutrients into the pellet and it holds them and it's not like it keeps them from the plant or from the soil it's it's essentially like an ice cube not cold but the sense that an ice cube is water from the outside all the way to its core and the retained pellet is the same way it's grabbing the moisture and it's not restricting it it's actually keeping a uniform moisture level around itself in the soil that's that's surrounding it so as the soil moisture dissipates and or increases the pellet pulls it in or it releases it out to make sure that keeps a more of a balanced moisture level in the soil for the plant roots and as it swells one of the big benefits is it breaks up compaction right and it allows oxygen to flow so when it shrinks it creates an even larger void for the oxygen to flow at the root level and the oxygen is just as important as moisture is for plant growth it's not something that's talked about a lot we talk about oh it didn't rain or it rained too much or you know i didn't get it in in time or i got it in late well the reality is you know we had a late spring plant because we had too much moisture while we were able to get on three to four weeks earlier onto properties where other people were still underwater because that retain grabbed it from the ground we're actually able to get in there and work and plant and that's a three-year lifespan it is a three-year product you do it one Um, year and then you have that benefit not just for that season you have it for the next season and it continues so what i like the idea is that the fact that it's also using almost kind of in a way like a sugar beet or a turnip that it breaks that compaction up mm-hmm. and you know people don't realize the sugar beets and the turnips the deer eat them but it's also really good for your soil mm-hmm. because it's breaking that up so that it's pretty cool i mean it's a rabbit hole you can just go down and disappear when you start looking at all of the advantages 
and uh, I mean, you're basically a mini farmer. <laughs> well, you are, and you know, and the thing is, you spend a lot of time. Time is really valuable, especially nowadays. We're all so busy, and you're spending your money on your fertilizer and your seed, and, and retain is a forty dollar per acre, based on you know what it costs to do an acre. It's two twelve pound bags. Um, it costs you forty dollars a year. It's a pretty tr- cheap insurance plan to make sure that you're managing not not only too little but too much moisture so you're not drowning your food plots um, it'll pull humidity out of the air it'll pull dew off the surface of the soil instead of letting it go back up into the clouds it pulls it down into the pellet so um, it's it's pretty dynamic and you know we're realizing it we put it into play in the fields now for five years um, on the properties we manage for clients and it's just been a game changer so I should have paid a lot more attention during science class <laughs> Well, I didn't. I was often getting a racer thrown at me because I was chatting in the back corner. But you've um, got it figured out now. Yeah, but uh, you know, it's it just wasn't interesting. It sure. wasn't had no interest to me then, like it does now, and I love it. I can't get enough information, and that's awesome. And I love to share it. That's the thing. I like to gather it so I can share, you know, those things with people to help them be more successful. So yeah, what do you what do you what do you foresee? Growth-wise, we get this, uh, for, for the listeners, we're supposed to get about two inches of rain over tonight and into tomorrow. I hope that happens. Because, and a lot of people are like, oh, that's too much rain, we just planted. But for what we're at, most of our plots are pretty level. We're mm-hmm. not going to get a lot of erosion, um, which is good. And um, I think, especially with, the, I'm excited with the retain, It's we're going to see that absorption into the soil and then let's say we don't get another two three four weeks of rain you know we're gonna still have the growth from the moisture that and capitalize on it because we're storing it well and what what i mentioned is that retain will pull humidity in the morning so you get that dew that forms from the change in temperature what happens a lot of times when we get these flash rains is the water doesn't actually go into the soil It, it flows across the top and and down into the creek bottoms or wherever there's no actual absorption into the soil now we broke open the soil we created voids and and uh area but by having that retain in there it's going to start acting like a sponge when it starts to rain it's not going to allow that just to wash away it's going to pull it down and pull it through the soil into itself and as it does and it starts to swell it's going to move the soil even more it's going to open up more crevices for the water to flow down into the ground and the rain is actually going to semi-compact the surface of the soil even further than we did with the light call the packing we did today. Right. Um, and that's going to trap that moisture. One thing that was interesting that we did I, that we've never done, Phil, was um, we actually dragged before we cultipacked. And, um, and the reason we did that, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but we have had loss of of seed because we have turkeys we have other birds stuff like that and using some of the product has a larger seed yep and it sits on top and ideally it would still work fine no problem but the birds come and eat it before Mm -hmm. it has a chance to germinate and and turn into the plant that we want easy pickings and uh so by dragging it we drug it it got covered in dirt then we cultipacked it we pack it down a little bit so now we're not going to have that that smorgasbord 
for the herd of turkeys yeah. or the gaggle of turkeys whatever you call them flock yeah. of turkeys and you might talk about seed depth a little bit right yeah. because that's really what it comes down to and well, stuff that we didn't really know yeah i mean border patrol smoke screen climatize uh white rage um lethal winter oats those are all larger seeds they are and they should be set underneath the surface of the soil somewhere less than an inch but somewhere where there's covered up in, in soil um, your carnage brass because your clover chicory our resurrection clover our chicory uh, deep woods crop duster some of those those are surface and you are going to get some loss from birds and such but they're but smaller you just seeds need, you just need soil contact just need, period yes it's just denting those seeds yeah. in but if you if you drag those you end up losing germination percentage because they are just like the grass and weed seedlings that lay too deep under the ground to germinate until we turn the ground or the rain pounds them out sure that's what happens they'll lay there till next year all of a sudden they'll sprout out you know at the least and that was something we didn't know so yeah. so go this is our fourth year now pure rookie food blotter mm -hmm. to trying to get a little bit better at it mm -hmm understanding and having the equipment to know that this is what you need to do to get this seed at this depth and this one at this depth and and, and that it's it's pretty interesting yeah well and we had to improvise right because we didn't have a harrow drag yeah um so what i recommended is something we do when i kind of was joking but it's true but we leave our our uh, harrow drag bar at jobs sometimes in the weeds my guys don't pick them up and here we are at the next job you know two hours away and what are we going to do so i had um i had phil shut off the the rototiller and then just drag it free free flow yeah. um and that sloughs just a little bit of the surface of the soil and that helped to essentially set the seed just below the surface I was and then impressed. we came back and called it the pack i was impressed with that because i I, I, when, you, when you first asked me to drum, I'm kind of sitting there scratching my head a little bit going, well, I don't understand for sure. But when you get done looking at your plot, and if, you, if you've ever cultipacked a plot, it looks pretty neat. It's all uniform and it's all even. Well, dragging that rototill across there, it made those big dimples just like a cultipacker would. Mm -hmm. But now you're talking about a two-inch dimple, right. not a little dip, not just a little dent. Yeah. And it, it, it's pretty impressive how it covered that seed up. And it's actually, in some ways, better than a harrow drag because a harrow drag can drag a lot of the grass and things you just worked, the dead sure. grass you worked mm -hmm. into the ground, it can drag it back out again. And then it can drag and move your seed around and then you end up clumping seed and then sure. having no seed. So um, the rototiller you know, method is, is very, uh, very efficient. On the small seed side, then what we did is we came back and after we did that step, um, that almost cultipacked it mm -hmm. yes. at the same time it covered the seed um, and we were able to put our small seed and then we used the cultipacker behind the four-wheeler right. and that worked yeah. out great so mm -hmm. yeah they look good and even they if really we do, do get a bunch of rain things are very as you mentioned very uniform um, we don't have a bunch of holes and low spots that are going to collect so there's a lot of work there's a lot of work and it was not without uh, pain because we had a couple of things happen today early let's let's be let's let's be forthright it was, it was my fault it was plotting with the percy's um, i was blamed anyway it wasn't really yeah, my fault it wasn't your fault i wasn't but, even involved but since i did my the food plot with you in colorado what i realized is that um with nick if you're if you're working with nick you need a hammer a pretty good size hammer you need some extra bolts Okay, you're gonna need them. 
And um, it doesn't hurt to have some baling wire. Oh, no. And extra ratchet straps because I yes. broke a whole bunch of those. Um, <laughs> but we, it's That's funny good. because, uh, Phil, you were finishing mowing oh, because last, last night. A little you bit s- of a comedy of errors. Mm-hmm. Last you, night I was mowing all of the food plots. I got down a day early, came down before everybody else so that I could kind of help prepare. Uh, and I was going to mow everything. Well, on the way to the last food plot, the I've, very got, last I've gotten everything else mowed. I opened the gate to get to the next one, hit the PTO switch on the tractor so I could turn on the mower, and my tractor dies. I turn my head to the back, and I see barbed wire wrapped around the tail wheel assembly on my brush hog. And I immediately got super upset at myself and backed the tractor up and came back to the barn. <laughs> it was repair time. Yeah, that was so. I got up. We got in about one thirty or so in the morning because yeah. we drove, and um, we're gonna get a few hours of sleep and then get to work. And I got up this morning and I look out, and you were already under the brush hog. <laughs> I think I'm pretty sure you're cussing, or maybe you were just uh, talking I under your had, breath. Certainly under my breath. There were there were impure thoughts going through my head, <laughs> and so we ended up. We were looking for bolt cutters. Yeah. We ended up just needing some extra hands, and you yes. were able to untangle a wad of barbed wire. The rain down here has made everything unbelievably lush up to this point. And driving through two and a half foot grass, you don't see a ball of, of barbed wire. And they're everywhere. They're everywhere. Why don't they just freaking pick them up and throw them in the back of the pickup every event that i ever see on facebook or instagram where they go out and they do those forest cleanups where people go out and pick up barbed wire and all that stuff i want to hug every one of those human beings this morning that's that's if you see barbed wire stop pick it up put it in the back of your car put it in the back of your truck get rid of it yeah Yeah. please it's a mess so we we you head out all the way to the end of the of the property it's heck it's what do you think it is two and a half miles down there Three miles? I'd say it's about three. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's not three miles on a nice county road. No, it's, it's definitely three not. miles of rough friggin' Flint Hills. Country. Yeah. And so it's a good 20-minute drive mm-hmm. one way. Yeah. And you get that mode, and I actually went down there because I had to do a little bit more spraying. And I saw you and headed back. And, of course, four-wheeler is a lot quicker in that country than a, a tractor. And I'm literally here getting things ready for you to pull in and we're going to back you up i think we're gonna get the spreader on you don't show up i had a nice three mile hike you literally (laughs) came in walked in the drive into the barn and you said i think i blew my tire yep on a tractor now we're not talking about tire on a pickup nope tire on a tractor and uh, I was so mad I didn't even look at what happened. I just shut the tractor off, got out and started walking. <laughs> and I got and and obviously you have time to cool off in that three mile hike there to try to think about, okay, what did I do? Like what why is that why is the tire now currently not on the rim? <laughs> and so you rationalize things and you're like, Okay, I, I had there's a nasty creek crossing that you have to go through there and it's rocky and with all the rain there's a ton of new stuff silted in there. And I I said, You know what? I hit a rock, pop the bead. Mm-hmm. hopeful right no, hope, the valve stem or something yes yeah. and then i'm thinking valve stem and then i'm thinking oh boy i cut the tire and i'm thinking oh where are we going to find a tire in virgil kansas for the front of my tractor it's not going to go well but yeah. 
thank goodness it just popped the beat off. And we were able to, uh, I pulled out some old farming tricks. Of course, uh, changing tires is not, is something I'm very familiar with. And we were able to, with some elbow grease and a little dish soap. Um, farmer ingenuity. Farmer ingenuity. Extra hands and yes. crowbars. And- yeah, we got our pop back on. And luckily, uh, note to self for you listeners, if you're ha- if you're trying to mount a tire and seat the beads on a tire that is either stiff or it's uh you know a, a wider like a wider rim and you have a thinner tire um ratchet straps are mm-hmm. your best friend because you can literally are. squeeze them down and that's what we did mm-hmm. we were and able down to the set the, we were able to set the bead on a trail road in the middle of nowhere and we didn't have to take tire off, the rim off the, the tractor track. we yep. just jacked it up that was impressive so newfound respect for a traps day thank you, after, thank after you. That. that was well, that was impressive. i will say this i was really glad oh. that we because when i got to thinking about it that's that's the lifeblood if you don't we have could tractor. not have done what we did today no. without a tractor no. and you and i've tried it yeah we did we uh we, colorado experience yeah memorable pickup truck and a, and a 1920s freaking john deere <laughs> gang disc. gang disc that we were working on when we started it needed bolts just even before we started when we left it, it was a scrapyard it basically was a piece of art oh no <laughs> oh yeah it, it was, was new yard it, art. it, it was, was stretched out. it was about 22 feet long <laughs> oh yeah so um <coughs> luckily Luckily, in this situation, uh, the Q, who, who had found that piece of quality equipment for us, just laughed. Because he's like, I can't believe you guys made it that far. Like, <laughs> and of course, he was getting married, so he did have some things going on that weekend. Yeah. We stayed at his house. It was, anyway, it was quite hilarious. But we didn't, without that tractor, I, I'm like... I don't know what we're going to do. If you put in a one-acre food plot with a rototiller, I will shake your hand. Yeah. You, you, you have, Manually, yeah. You have to have a tractor to put in food plots like mm-hmm. this. Yeah. I mean, well, have to, strong words, but it is highly recommended. Right. Well, I don't, you remember. In this, in this ground. Yes. Yeah. I mean, there's ground where you can do it by sure. hand, and there's For some sure. things you can do, and yep. we have stuff. But, yeah, in this rocky. Yes. It's, it's, it's hard. The first, first time I put in the silo food plot. <laughs> first year um did julie, adam come Ju- with you yeah adam was with yeah, me. yeah julie mckenzie um who is trav's mom who you know owns the property she has a neighbor and he lent me his rototiller and when i mean rototiller i mean rototiller like 1928 like, montgomery yeah, ward uh-huh rototiller <laughs> yeah yeah it's about 18 inches wide oh no right Adam had a high-powered gas, uh, not a tra- well, it's, it's a weed eater, and he, instead of the the strings, he had the blade, so that was good. We didn't have a mower. We didn't even have a mower, and we sprayed it with a backpack sprayer with Roundup, and then we let it sit, I think, a day or so, and we did some other stuff, and then came back, and we mowed it with that. And that's what a third acre, maybe. Yeah, maybe. Okay. Yeah, it might not have been a third. Maybe not it might quite. have been. Might have been a quarter acre at that time. Heck, it might have been an eighth of an acre by the time we quit. <laughs> it, I think it's grown over the years, but um, especially with the, having a tractor, um, and it was two days. 
to put that food plot in. And we put in six today. And we put in six with a, today. With a flat tire. Yeah. <laughs> That's teamwork. That is teamwork. We were hustling, though. We were. We were. We were like the working ants, the passing last. each other in the driveway. One well, was leaving, we were coming. Uh, one was it, getting water, one's getting fuel. And this is the first year, Phil, talking about <clears throat> our evolution of 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 small time farmers. Um, this is the first time we've done soil samples. Yes, legit, and legit, legit soil, soil samples. samples. Uh, you've taken a few, mm. and we kind of estimated off the ones you yes. had. Yes. Um, and it was interesting to find out that the organic materials the 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 potassium the all the different things that it lacked and then we only we've always normally put lime on every food plot yes and what we found out is we didn't need to we only need one one food plot it was my ridgeline food plot needed lime the rest of them didn't that was actually too high yeah Yeah. and we're gonna correct that tomorrow with the kfp defender because that'll break down that high ph but that's a problem i was given advice 100 years ago everybody's planted a food plot right so i was given advice every time you plant put down lime every time because it's crazy it's a i mean literally we'll do a soil test for you like we did on your guys for 22 dollars yes yeah people are buying more than 20 dollars 22 dollars with the lime and and they don't need it and they're just guessing you're wasting yeah wasting and when you start getting above 7.5 like you guys are that's worse in some cases than low ph it's harder to get it to come back down and the the kfp defender is is a brand new product for us we haven't actually even launched it out at at we're going to launch it at ata but um that product is doing amazing things in the soil and we're going to treat that tomorrow mm-hmm. and we can spray that right in the rain so yeah that's a good thing actually we, we, more water is better it gets it into and the soil you were telling me you even you'll even turn around and mix it with roundup oh i put it in with roundup you can spray it after you turn the ground before you turn the ground you can it's spray it on the so staff flexible how you can use it yeah it, and it can what be it a, does for you yeah it's amazing it breaks down high magnesium high phosphorus in the soils it neutralizes either low or high ph it's got a one ph i was mentioning that to yeah. you when we were cruising in the in the tractor and one ph should literally burn your hands this stuff is amazing how soft your hands are it like peels the calluses off but it doesn't hurt you at all it's a natural based product it introduces healthy bacteria into the soil which counteract the negative bacteria now when we talk about brassicas this is year four for you guys plant brassicas yeah you're normally with the brassica um planting you can start to build negative nematodes or bad bacteria in the soil the defender is made to break those bad bacteria down without hurting any good bacteria you're introducing more of an army of good yeah. to combat the bad as opposed to like a antibiotic where you're killing off the good with the bad and as i mentioned to you earlier the bad always fights its way back before the yeah. good so we're just constantly replenishing that good and it has a um, uh, an npk of 777 so it can act like a foliar fertilizer while it's doing all those other benefits so and we put down some groganics and what the groganics did is of course fertilizer but it's also <clears throat> some of the other things we were low on it gave us the the boost we need mm-hmm. to get those soils yeah. into that healthy zone if you will right and uh yeah i'm i feel like this year we literally we did some more homework you know by it takes took a little time i came out here and made a whole trip just yes. for soil samples yes. right and well and shoot a turkey um <laughs> it was an awful nice turkey well yeah it's amazing what you can get done when they shut the road down <laughs> right and yeah. you're like i'm, yeah. I'm gonna stay here tonight 
should I hunt a turkey? Yeah, why don't you? Anyway, that's that's a whole other podcast. But we were able, you know, we sent those off, and I think we had them back in like the 24 next hours. week. Well, it, it was it was within a couple of days. Uh, yeah, it yeah. was quick. And yeah. Uh, yeah, um, we don't mess around. No. In Missouri, we even we unfortunately they do it digitally, and our good buddy AR and I don't know that he he has a email. I don't know that he knows how to check it. Um, love you, AR. Um, but he turned them in, but we didn't have any results because he didn't leave an email. Oh. <laughs> so luckily, Nick was able to do some research, and and uh, we ended up get mm-hmm. finding out what we need there. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the important part. I think I all too often want to jump in and break the soil. Yep. But there's so much we need to do beforehand. And if you'll take the time, take a five-gallon bucket and a basic shovel uh, yeah and just go get in what i did is i went to each food plot and i took about six samples from different areas mm-hmm. mixed them together in the bucket and then i filled my little coffee bag looking yeah, you know deal. piece of oil test uh-huh. kit collection and envelope and yep. wrote on what it, which plot they were mm-hmm. filled out the paperwork put it in a box and shipped it off next and thing i know it is amazing what you learn yeah and it is amazing how a piece of soil that is maybe a couple hundred yards from another one is so unbelievably different. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That is crazy. That it's is crazy. Nuts. Yeah, it, it is. It, and that, because you, know, you think you know what you're doing. Right. And you're like, well, heck, that's only 100 yards away. I it's got to be the same. It's got to be the same. same farm. Uh-uh. Yeah. People assume that a lot and make that, that judgment call. Sure. And or people say, do I have to buy a soil test kit for every one of my food plots? I have eight food plots. Well, you don't have to. But if you mix them all together, I need soil from all of them. And if you mix them all together, you're going to treat them all the same. And some of them may need lime. Some of them may not need lime. Yes. But if you mix them together, you're going to be treating them as though they do. And all of a sudden, you could have a food plot that doesn't do very well because your pH is actually too high Yes. versus too low. A good, a good analogy here is do you treat all your kids the same? <laughs> right? Right? Right. You get, you get three kids from the same family. And they're three totally different people. Yes. So, I mean, you got to look at it. But when we did that, and then the ability to say, okay, what are we going to plant here? And, you know, be, you know, it took a little planning. Sure. We did have to get some lime ordered. Um, you know, local co-op is where we, we got mm-hmm. to just pelletize lime. Mm-hmm. And then that ability to, to, to make that plan. And then when we were ready to work without the breakdowns, of course, but we boom it just it was it was solid we knew what we were going to plant where we had all the the groganics the beauty of and we didn't really expand on that in the last podcast but the cool thing about groganics is it's not just like your standard fertilizers delivering npk nitrogen phosphorus and potash those are three major ingredients that'll show up on your soil test kit uh, or your soil test results i should say of how much you need to add um, where your levels are at But Groganics goes beyond that. And when we created that product, we, we added micronutrients because micronutrients are a common fat part of the plant growth uh, or important to the plant growth. And it's not something that you're measuring in a soil test kit. It certainly isn't available in that synthetic fertilizer. We also have um, healthy bacteria. Um, we talked earlier about it has fulvic acid and, and uh, has minerals 
the biological package that's in there has a fungi and, and a healthy bacteria um, organic matter so we're absorbing moisture and we're building the soil there's a lot more going on in a bag of groganics than a, than a bag of triple 19 and you know we developed it because we were not having success in some of these tough situations like you guys have out here and that product again is a natural based product um, and we're producing 40 to 60 percent more tonnage per acre using that and the same equivalent amount as triple 19 because we're replacing those things that aren't there uh, the calcium we're actually building we can build some calcium into that soil and that helps with root development and growth um, and so we're seeing different results and you guys have seen that even in your subpar right. approach to food plots with you know the weed whacker and yes. the neighbors you know montgomery wards <laughs> tiller um a lot of people can only do it with a rake or yeah. they, they have a one gallon sprayer and you can broadcast uh deep woods yes or crop duster or carnage brassicas or lethal winter oats right over the top of dead vegetation you've sprayed and then take a weed whacker knock it down and go back to watching the football game because that will germinate underneath the cover of that dead vegetation and let's talk about a little bit about crop duster because i was real excited i know i called you on that yeah. i said hey you know situation we have some spots we do because we got some beans mm -hmm. especially beans i think of because in that time right before you're going to hunt they're harvesting and you can go in there like we did today now it wasn't a bean field it was a basically a weed field because Overgrown, they couldn't yeah. yeah and we literally just broadcast that over mm -hmm. because that's going to go dormant just like a bean will or you know beans are going to get basically harvested right um they're going to mature by then mm -hmm. it's created we've got that small growth and th then when it's gone boom yep we got something and that crop duster i mean i think it's 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 neater neater than heck because there's times we'll do a, a food plot on the edge of an ag field and why would you do that well what we're trying to do is create a staging, staging area mm -hmm. for sure and because they're going to go out in that field and feed but usually they're going to wait till it gets pretty dark so we want them to feel comfortable because in this little secluded but sometimes it allows you to expand on that little bit because now this has been harvested or whatever and but you can't do it when the beans are there i can't go in and 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 yeah. plant in between beans without damaging the beans a food plot like i would want to right so with this a piece gives, of equipment mm -hmm. yeah mm -hmm. i was super pumped with this whole crop duster thing because i have nothing scientific to back this up other than sitting in a tree stand for the last 15 20 years but when the beans start turning yellow the deer disappear mm -hmm. they do not like the, they, 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 the, it's the, like the first yellow leaf and the deer are on the skids they're gone and they obviously go to corn in, in my head right uh, they immediately i'm like okay corn's still up it's green off they go i'm super pumped to do crop duster in my beans this year because number for several reasons number one a lot of guys didn't get corn in because of the moisture there's a lot of beans around, but there there's not a ton. And one full field on your side is just completely missing. So when you look at the acres planted around us, we're missing a bunch. I think laying that in there is going to give us another opportunity once those beans start to yellow to keep those deer on our property. Right. And I, new green growth of the exactly, right things yes. at the right time. Mm -hmm. and, yep. and, and we've seen it with winter, like winter wheat or mm -hmm. a rye. Basically if you get a normal new november 
the rut is happening, anything green, deer are pounding. Yes. So, I, well, um, yeah. We developed crop duster because I was getting reprimanded by some of the farmers on the properties we managed, to be honest with you, because we were using deep woods in the corn and we were using carnage, carnage brassicas in the beans because it worked great. Sure. Um, unfortunately, they both contain rape and rape will bolt in the spring. It'll send up a runner and then produce a lot more of itself in seed heads and then drop them on the ground. And so then when they're going from corn into beans, now they've got two different broadleaf. Sure. They're trying to grow the broadleaf and the beans and now all of a sudden they're trying to combat this. So it costs them more in chemicals and trying to to uh, to deal with that so they're not they don't have a competitor in the field with their beans. That makes sense. So I made a commitment to put it on my list of uh, next projects. And so what we basically decided to do is we took our staple lethal winter oats and we replaced the the brassicas um, in that mix or the rape with our lethal winter oats. And then we pulled the um, uh, the other um, brassica out and we took out the winter wheat and we replaced it with our KFP fall triticale. So we're producing more tonnage of a very sweet available cereal grain. And we talked about this before. Cereal grains are so important for stimulating the, the digestive system within a whitetail after all the natural brows are gone. So they are going to be drawn to that. They are going to come to that. It's a high yielding grain, um, very available nutrients and whitetails need that in the off season. So you're going to get some early, you're going to get some mid and you're going to get some long-term benefit and it's easy. You literally walk out there with a cedar broadcast of their quarter acre bags, create a small food plot, as you mentioned, when the beans come off, boom, that just explodes yes. with new growth. And it's growing within the beans as well, Sure, but it will really take off when that canopy of beans or the beans kind of drop down. The same thing with corn, it can be broadcast in the field, uh, field corn as well. Um, when the farmer harvests that, it just blows up and you have instant food plot. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm that super is one, stoked. That has to be one of the coolest new food plot inventions for folks that don't have a tractor. Yeah. For folks that don't have the tools. Right. They, they want to do food plots. And, yeah. and just like Trev, they started with a, a, a rototiller and they make that plot just a little bit bigger every year yeah. just because they've already broken that ground. Well, now your expansion capability to, to grow a plot that's meaningful and timely is it's improved tremendously yeah it's it's a big deal and it grows just like deep woods in low light so deep woods will grow from full sun down in two hours that crop duster will do the same thing that's so. an awesome product mm -hmm. i'm hoping yeah, well, it, we're gonna we're i'm gonna, hoping it helps a lot of people yeah. well, i think it's gonna know, help be a ton able, of people because there's a lot everybody, people, everybody's hunting the side of an ag field right, right? exactly they're leasing ground yes. they can't turn the ground they've yeah. got some inside corner that sure they don't even have the means the farmer doesn't farm it for a reason and it's tough to get into and it's wet or whatever yep. and that allows them to go ahead and just spray that kill off vegetation broadcast crop duster and like i said go back to making their plan for the year so <laughs> Interesting. That's a, just an outstanding idea. Really good stuff. You know, and, and and the bottom line here is this: this podcast isn't about an infomercial. This is about our passion that has grown over the years through experience. Yes, and some success. Yeah, some some not success, but yeah. um, for us, it it allows us to stay engaged year round. Um, you know, even if you're coming in and planting cold play and some of this other stuff that's mm -hmm. really good for turkeys mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. some of this other, you know, and for us this year, it was just so hard for us to get out here because it was so wet. 
and we were so busy mm -hmm. we didn't even do a spring plot um and for us it's being you're what nine hours yeah and yeah. i'm ten and a half yeah and to get here it's not oh i'm going out to grandpa's and i'm right. working on my food oh. plot you know and yeah. sometimes i wish i had that but we don't yeah so this for, is the most prepared we've ever been yeah and i think by a good a good stretch mm -hmm. yeah. We're, we're knock on wood hoping for mother nature to do her yeah. part for us yeah. but easily the most prepared even with all the difficulty just yeah. we, we really came up, locked up of, yesterday morning i didn't even get to leave until 12 31 i i left the dealership from getting my truck fixed it was like one obstacle after another and that that is you know is what it is but you mentioned not an infomercial and one thing about killer few plots is that i sell last I'm not selling anything. I love the information. That's why I love to work with you guys because you're huge educators. You get people involved. You show people they can do it. Everything about what you know you do, Trev, and your team is to say, "Hey, you can get up out of that chair, up off that couch, and these are these are achievable things for you right. to do." you can partner with somebody that has the tools and maybe you have the land or you know someone and you can make some things happen. And, you know, Killer Food Plots products are a product of me failing over and over or right. other people failing and saying, Nick, we need help. We have this problem and I, I'm an engineer. Uh, that's what I did for 24 years and I solve problems all the time. And I just take that into my business and, and try to find solutions. Retain is a really cool one. Groganics is another cool one. But even in the seed blends and the species we put together to make it work, it's not necessarily to sell a product, but it's to solve a problem that so many people have. Um, and the limitations that we have, uh, mostly it's time. Most of us don't. If we really size it up, the biggest challenge of, of us getting here is always seems to be aligning our schedule. Agreed. And we, as a household full of kids and wife doing one thing, you doing the other work and everything else going on, family vacations and stuff in the summer, it's tough to get a fall food plot put together. And most people aren't thinking about spring food plots. They're just trying to survive, yes. the, you know, and get ready for the end of school year and, and everything else going on and then summer vacation. So food plots are forgotten until the last minute and they're not a priority, even though maybe in our head they are. And so a lot of these products provide people with that opportunity to put in those last minute food plots. And for, for us, at least for me, it's I don't get a chance to wait till that front comes in and oh, I'm gonna go get in the stand. I've got a window of time. Mm -hmm. That's the only time I'm gonna probably be able to hunt. And um, you know, I'm trying to. I'm looking at statistics and the studies where you know the average deer embryo was was conceived on November sixth, and I've read that over and over. You know, and I like to try and do that, but I know that that first two weeks of November, you know, I I want to be in a a whitetail tree stand. Yes. My day, my day is Veterans Day. Yeah, I I have spent every Veterans Day since I can't remember when in a tree stand because I think that 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 is just a, number one. It's a great time to celebrate, mm -hmm. think about things, get your head straight, understand what why you're thankful and what they brought. But it is an awesome day to be in the tree stand. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> for sure, for sure. Well, I uh, I hope that you guys listening will, uh, it, you know, if this is something that strikes a chord, uh, Killer Food Plots, Nick, is, is a great resource. Um, and one thing, Nick, you do is, is you consult. You're not just 
um, you do actual people pay you to come in and, and mm-hmm. do that, but you also consult, and uh, uh, there's that opportunity. We didn't know. I mean, uh, we have learned, and I've been picking your brain for four years now, and, you know, I mean, even on this trip, just you you being here has been so huge because you see things and you and and then of course my first question is why and that's how we learn Mm -hmm. and that's what's gonna definitely yeah so well i i'm i'm excited we've got more to do tomorrow we're gonna and what is the goal for this year for you to shoot blades blades. yep that's my goal was i want you to shoot blades not just pick his sheds up again i I want you to shoot i want to see that deer in your hands that, yeah that deer has mm-hmm. been a nemesis in it and hopefully this year we've done the things to get him yeah. in, in in range one of us needs to to get a shot at him i you know i i just like to i say this and it's probably not true but i just like to see him in the daylight yeah mm-hmm. i know he's moving yes well we planted border patrol on several of the plots with screens and you know up to help us not only access and get in the stand, but hopefully to force the deer to move around more in those. So, yeah. um, because that helps to create that security and wanting to move during daylight hours. So, um, I'm pretty confident it's going to happen. You know, I I was really fortunate last year to kill Brutus and awesome deer. And mm-hmm. yeah, and yeah. we've been watching him. And you know, he wasn't he wasn't the top pick. Blades held that for a little while, but but he had personality. That yeah, was a cool deer. Yeah, that was a cool deer. And just to look over and see him walking up that alley, and you know, mm-hmm. and then literally everything. <laughs> it was just everything was right, and yeah, it makes it all worthwhile. And you know, it's there's other times. It's the year before I shot a deer that probably wouldn't score 130 inches, but he was. A bully. He was old. He was. He's that genetic we've had on this on this place yeah. where we're getting these big crabby clawed deer, and they're just mean disposition. Heavy, you, heavy antlered. Heavy antlered. Heavy attitude. Uh huh. But not much for antler growth. No, no. They're 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 massive, but they just don't I do mean, a lot from time. Two hundred sixty pound deer, you know, yeah. and big, just a horse of a deer, and uh, so I was excited because one thing I'm. I think maturity has brought is the appreciation for a deer's age and to kill a mature deer is a trophy. Yeah. Just well, that, sure. just being able to do that. Especially when you've watched it grow up for yeah. five years, right? Yeah. yeah. And that, and to me, and I, I've told this to a, a ton of folks, but hunting is awesome. All of this that leads up to it, the chase, the chest, like you said earlier, setting game camps, doing the, doing the food plots, watching learning understanding seeing deer grow and then determining that deer is now something that you you've got on your target list man that's a lot of fun to do yeah oh, it is. yeah i mean it, it really is and that's i think that's what hooked me it's and exactly what hooked me well and you know i started out where i went with an outfitter and they held my hand and they walked me to the tree and i climbed up the tree i had no idea what would come by i, I had no idea what was in the area I had no history. And a while back, I said, I don't want to do that anymore. Not that I have a problem hunting an area I'm not familiar with. For sure. But there's something about being in the story. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I get to hunt with Steve in Iowa. And I'm excited because he has that. And although I'm not, 
I don't have the four years prior. He's going to be able to bring me into that and show me and take me into this storyline. And I get this amazing privilege to go climb up in a tree. And then, uh, you know, I'm sure he's, he's, he's sent me a couple of, of, of yeah. trail cam pictures already. Yeah, he's and, got some you know, great deer in the area. And, and so, but there, it, it just is something, especially about a place when we first came here, and I went over to that neighbor's to get that Montgomery Ward tiller, and he goes, man, we just don't have deer here anymore. And that first year we had king. And that, that deer was deer nuts. Was I mean, that, I that deer I, was 185 I, inches easy. And I had an encounter with him. Could have shot at him at 50 yards and didn't feel right. And his doe I had him at 90. Yeah, his doe was coming right up to me. She stopped at 50 yards and just went and looked right up at me. Yeah. And then she turned around and just backed up and walked off. He never even looked up. I mean, he didn't know we were there. He's just keyed in on that that yearling doe that's you know in estrus and and he's not leaving her at all and he just followed her down and i never had a clear line of shot he was only 30 yards away at that time i never had a clear shot but just that encounter number one i have it on video which is really cool Mm -hmm. but number two i have all those trail cam pictures and all of that stuff and all of that anticipation that led up to that event and to me that was special it is Getting when uh, at any yeah. moment that deer or a yeah. deer like that deer can come around the corner, it's exciting. I have, <laughs> a, I, have a, I have a beautiful straight 12, really wide main beam deer hanging on my wall in my living room right now. And it's a deer that we had had multiple encounters with both Trev and I. Trev actually drew on him and probably had just as good a shot at killing him as anybody. And, He's a 174 inch deer and, and biggest deer I've ever killed. Actually the very first deer I killed on this property. Mm-hmm. And that was a pretty emotional moment for me, right? It's my own ground. I finally own my own farm and, and have that, have that opportunity to do something like that. Knowing that deer was there, knowing he existed, knowing the encounters, the stories, all that stuff. That is, that's where it's at <laughs> for me. Yeah. Now, now, and that was a, that was even special for me because having the encounter and then having Phil been able to, to shoot that deer and, and 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 you know a quick kill and and then the text of you know and i get this cell phone text of this just this rack laying in the the you know autumn leaves and um it's undeniable who that deer is yeah and yeah that was a pretty good moment so uh, was awesome. i think that's really what it all boils down to why we no do doubt. this why do we do this for these stinky or these stinking little deer you know that that we we look out now and now they got their summer coats on and but you know it's just around the corner yeah it is it's getting close coming yeah. quick yeah it's fun watching them they're starting to really get to the point where the antler growth is going to start yeah. slowing down you can see i mean we've had some deer out in the beans here the last two nights there's some really nice looking deer around yeah. here and they're kind of starting to come to the end of that growth cycle of their antlers it won't be that long and they'll start getting rid of that velvet. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. Well, the month of August, early September, depending on where you are in the state, it's it's prime time for fall planting. So yeah. it's time to, to make it happen. And you've got the whole month, but you know, the further south you go, they don't start planting till September, but September 1st usually. Yeah, but. we're in that, we're a little further north than Missouri and Kansas, pretty similar, yep. Nebraska. Yeah, we're, well, we're hammering out plots in Michigan, that's for sure. I can imagine. <laughs> well, it's uh, 
we got some work to do tomorrow, and then we're uh, we're jumping the truck and heading to Missouri, doing the same thing there. Yep. And kind of making a bonsai trip here, um, but it's always great. And uh, as always, thanks for listening. Uh, we will uh, keep you posted as the, as the season goes, and uh, keep you updated. And uh, hey, go find your wild, embrace it. God bless. <laughs>